AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to AOA. Always glad to have you with us. Thank you for letting us be part of your day. We hope it's a good one for you. Here's what we'll talk about today. We're only a couple of weeks away from Thanksgiving. We're going to talk with a spokesperson for the National Turkey Federation. Are supply chain issues impacting getting a turkey to you this holiday season? We'll talk about price and availability. Uh, we have more numbers out from USDA this week. We'll talk with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing about the, those numbers. And Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association will join us to talk about the infrastructure bill and a lot of talk about is there a cow tax. We'll talk about that as well with Ethan Lane. But let's start things off with DTN reporter Todd Neely. Todd, good to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, good to be here, Mike. Thanks. You know, this climate conference, this may, must be one of the longest conferences ever that's going on, still going on. And I, I know there's a lot of talk now about agriculture and ag programs, ag climate programs. Not saying they're not important at all. What I am saying is, what, in the meantime, while our public officials seem to be so focused on that, what about the issues that are most at hand, supply chain issues, inflation, uh, you know, a lot of other things that are going on that are impact, impacting us right now, and it seems like the total focus of uh, this government and uh, the, our public officials, this administration right now, seems to be on climate and what we're going to do moving forward. And I'm, again, not saying you don't deal with that, but you ought to be able to show that you can do both things at the same time, work on both of these yeah, Mike, I know. I, you know, I agree. I think, um, you know, we've seen it play out when it comes to ethanol policy. I mean, it's something we talk about all the time. Um, you get that feeling that uh, this administration is hyper-focused on climate, not that, you know, there's not a lot of important things out there to resolve, a lot of issues to go over. Um, but you're right. We've got a lot of big-ticket issues in agriculture that need some attention, um, you know, we saw the infrastructure bill pass, which is great in, in many respects. Um, but you're right. You know, supply chain issues are just gigantic right now. Um, we really don't know, uh, you know, when it's going to end or if it's going to end. You know, there's been some talk that we could have supply chain uh, backups for, the ne you know, the next year even. And so, uh, yeah, you would like to see more focus, uh, you know, maybe juggling more than one ball at a time and, and really – focusing on a lot of the things that people are really, uh, really concerned about at the moment. Well, here's a case in point. Let's, let's use fuel uh, as an example. We're all dealing with higher prices at the pump, and they seem to keep going up. The administration has not talked, you know, doesn't seem to uh, take this as seriously as most of us do. Um, and so here's a case where if if you're going to just be all about renewables and dealing with climate, then why don't you come out and say, let's use more ethanol, which we have right. and which we produce, and can not only deal with climate issues, but can uh, lower costs somewhat as well at the pump. Instead, it's all, you almost get the feeling they want gas prices higher to, to further this push, strengthen their argument to go to all electric vehicles. Yeah, you know, Mike, I think you hit on it. I, I do think that, um, you know, when you look at the, the Biden administration's agenda on a lot of these issues, um, you know, we have we have things that have cropped up, you know, in the past year that we weren't dealing with, um, you know, three, four years ago. Um, you know, we saw solutions, you know, we expanded oil production in this country. I mean, there's a lot of things that happened the past four years that were quite beneficial. You know, gas prices were relatively low and, uh, you're right. There's a lot of things that I think could be done, um, you know, on the supply side of things, uh, you know, especially when it comes to oil. You know, there's, um, you know, there's talk of more pipelines shutting down. I mean, there's all these things that don't seem to really make sense. And, and you're right. The gas, the gas price situation hits the economy, hits a lot of ordinary people like us uh, right where it counts. And so, um, yeah, you would like to see more focus on that. And maybe, you know, maybe once we get past some of these climate situations and, and all these 
all these issues that we're talking about on climate, maybe at some point we can focus on that. Yeah, we may be in a transition on energy. I, I don't know. But there's one thing to ease into it and manage your way through a transition. And then there's forcing a transition and, and just, you know, uh, forcing people to deal with the consequences. That, uh, I don't think, is going over very well. So we'll see how that plays out. Meanwhile, on the energy front, EPA did reject a request for a small refinery exemption. Perhaps this is a good sign. We'll have to see uh, what comes after this, but they did reject one. Yeah, Mike, you know, and you're right. It's just one exemption request. I mean, there's like another 65, I believe, that are pending with the EPA. Um, but, you know, I, I think the bigger issue here perhaps is that, you know, a lot of people are waiting to see what EPA is going to do on a number of fronts, and, and we're not hearing a lot uh, when it comes to, uh, to ethanol policy. Uh, and so we're, maybe we're a bit hyper-focused on whatever the agency does do and whatever it talks about publicly uh, more than anything. And I, and I think, you know, the, the next year or so is going to be huge when it comes to this, this, particular, this particular issue. Uh, we've got 65 pending exemptions, and you know that there's going to be others coming. Um, and so I think, you know, while the one exemption may be an indication of things, I, I do think that uh, we got a long way to go to find out where this administration actually stands. Meanwhile, we have seven Midwest state governors saying we have a plan to sell more E15. It's going to be interesting to see EPA's response to that. Yeah, Mike, you know, it's uh, it's something that I think, uh, you know, it's probably one way to get at this. You know, when uh, the court rejected the E15 uh, rule that EPA had, had finalized under the Trump administration, I think a lot of people were searching for answers as to, you know, what next? I mean, how can we get year-round E15 back? Uh, and the governors have a lot of a lot of push on this, a lot of pull, so to speak. Um, when they make a request or they start asking EPA uh, to do a rulemaking, uh, the agencies, you know, bound by the Clean Air Act uh, to take some sort of action. And so uh, we haven't had an official request from these seven governors on the E15 front, but I think that's going to happen. And maybe this is the way it's going to get solved. Maybe it's going to have to be from the grassroots and, and uh, see where it goes from there. Meanwhile, the infrastructure, we've talked a lot about that. Um, I mentioned yesterday, don't expect anything to happen right away. Now, there could be some funding out maybe the first part of next year, but some of this, it'll be a while before we see it. And as we've seen with other government programs, you can wait a long time for from the time they say, announce it to the time the money actually gets to where it's supposed to go, if it gets to where it's supposed to go. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, within that bill, we see a lot of a lot of numbers, a lot of big numbers, and a lot of those are spread out over 10 years. And so mm. you're right. You kind of wonder what that exactly means. Does that mean, you know, the first uh, six or seven years, there's not any action? Or, you know, what does that mean? And so... Um, you're right. You just hope that these uh, these numbers are not only big, but you hope that it reaches rural America. We will see. Todd, good to talk with you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Mike. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, we'll talk with a spokesperson for the National Turkey Federation as we head into the holiday season. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. 
From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. At Golden Harvest, our best skill is knowing how to listen. From our Gold Series soybean and game-changing corn portfolios to our expert insights housed in the Illuminate Digital Agronomy Platform, everything we offer is an answer to what we've heard from you. This is how we listen. Copyright 2021 Syngenta. The trademarks or service marks used herein are the property of a Syngenta Group company. All other trademarks are the property of their respective owners. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100 and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Hard to believe, but we're just a couple of weeks away from Thanksgiving. At this time each year, we check in with Beth Breeding, Vice President, Communications and Marketing for the National Turkey Federation. Beth, good to talk with you again. And usually we focus on, uh, you know, how's the supply looking? This year, the next big question is not only supply, but supply chain issues, moving those turkeys to the stores where people want to go purchase them. Uh, how, how do things look this year under a, a lot of a lot different situation than we're used to seeing. Yeah, well, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're always happy to talk turkey. Uh, you're absolutely right. This is a very different year, full of a lot of unique challenges for the turkey industry. Uh, you know, our membership is working really hard to counteract any lingering supply chain challenges out there and make sure that turkeys are available in the store. Uh, we don't actually have any concerns that there will be a shortage. We think that anyone who is looking for a turkey product should be able to find it. They just may need to be a little more flexible, um, and we always encourage consumers, particularly this year, to plan ahead and start looking now. Yeah, so I've already purchased ours for Thanksgiving, and I, I've seen turkeys in, in, in my grocery store, but is do you think there will be places uh, around the country that uh, they may be hard to find? You know, a lot of that is going to depend on transportation and um, how the stores are getting those products in. I don't think we're going to see any widespread issues with availability. Uh, you know, if there is a certain, you know, very specific size or maybe a fresh turkey, um, I would recommend that a consumer talk to their store to understand when those are going to be available. But um, there are a lot of frozen birds out there right now that I've seen uh, just going through the grocery store. So I think folks are going to be able to find those. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you, you're not involved with pricing, but uh, the cost of most things has gone up. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, food prices have gone up, and that does uh, include turkey. Uh, we have seen some increases there uh, in the, the USDA data coming out for sure. Um, but, you know, turkey is very traditionally what retailers call loss leader. Uh, they offer it at really good deals around the holidays, and I've already seen a lot of those coming up. Uh, so I do think that while some prices might be up, uh, that consumers are still going to probably find some of those really good specials on turkey uh, right around Thanksgiving. We're talking with Beth Breeding with the National Turkey Federation. Beth, overall, how has the turkey industry been dealing with the the COVID, the pandemic, uh, the supply chain issues, how's that impacted your industry? Yeah, I mean, like everyone else, uh, we are navigating all of these new realities that we're living in. Um, We have supply chain challenges a lot like other proteins. Uh, Labor continues to be an issue. It was before the pandemic and it remains a problem. Um, And transportation, you know, uh, truck driver availability, truck availability, that affects everything. Um, I think everyone is really acutely aware over the past year just how any one small snarl in the supply chain can have uh, pretty big repercussions. But our members have been doing a great job of continuing to operate and, you know, trying to produce as much turkey as we can get out there for consumers. Yeah, this is a challenge all year, but it's especially highlighted right now with uh, the focus on the holidays and, and, and demand, right? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, we call the, the Thanksgiving time the Super Bowl for our industry, and uh, there's no other time that we're more in the spotlight. Uh, I think that we are going to be able to deliver for folks for their Thanksgiving meals this year, uh, but it is certainly taking, a, a you know, an effort from everyone involved to Uh, continue to do what we do best, and that's feed people. You mentioned the labor issue, and that that covers a lot of area uh, from Mm -hmm. the actual work on the turkey farms, the production, uh, to the the truck drivers, as you mentioned. I mean, that's throughout the chain, right? It is throughout the chain. Uh, For us specifically in the processing plant, you know, it's an issue. Um, it, It continues to be an issue there, and it may not be a problem at every turkey plant, but it's certainly something that is a, a widespread issue throughout our industry and other meat processing. Beth, what do you see going on within the industry itself? Is there consolidation? Is, or How have you seen it change and evolve the last few years? You know, I think that uh, COVID was a really interesting time for us to kind of take a step back and and look at everything that was going on in production, look at ways to maybe improve or, you know, try to to do things differently. Um, I have certainly seen a lot of interesting things coming out of this, just in the terms that there was a huge demand for turkey products during the pandemic. I think we have a real opportunity as an industry to kind of build off of the folks who got familiar with cooking at home and um, introduce them to turkey's value 365 days a year, not just the holiday. But, um, you know, we still are trying to to come out of uh, the pandemic, and um, I'm very optimistic. Does your industry rely on very much on exports because we know that's being impacted now by the the, the port backup and being able to move product out. Has, has that impacted your industry? That's a great question. So we traditionally export about 10% of U.S. turkey production. Uh, we're the largest producer and largest exporter of turkeys in the world. Uh, you know, exports are still moving along, uh, perhaps at a little slower clip than uh, than we've seen in the past. We're actually up about 1% export volume uh, to date compared to last year, but I will say that we're still pretty far off of our 2019 numbers. So I think exports are hopefully, uh, you know, going to keep strengthening, but there is still a way to go right now, and any supply chain issue that prevents that product from getting where it needs to go uh, certainly does not help. What about your production? Is it concentrated in in certain parts of the country or is it becoming more widespread across the country? 
You know, turkey production, uh, our, our number one and two states continue to remain uh, Minnesota and North Carolina, and then also a lot of production um, in the Midwest as well. Um, you know, production is down a little bit this year, about 2.4%, according to USDA's September reports. Um, and that, you know, is is certainly COVID is a contributing factor to that. It's also a decision that each of our members has to make based on their business and the market. Mm-hmm. I, well, we've talked about this before, but while this is your Super Bowl season right now, uh, <laughs> you have been able, your industry has been able to strengthen its uh, its um, market throughout market share throughout the course of the year. And a lot of that's by different products that you have, more convenience and things like that. That's really uh, benefited your industry, hasn't it? It has. You know, anytime that you can find a new opportunity or occasion for uh, a turkey product, uh, that, that gets me really excited. Uh, we're really hitting the barbecue circuit hard right now. Uh, you know, people who smoke and grill love protein, and turkey is a great alternative for that, perhaps a bit um, you know, a bit lighter, uh, can take on a lot of flavor. So that's something that we're looking at really closely right now. We've created a turkey smoke program to help kind of introduce turkey to, to pit masters. And I think the industry is, is excited about that to see where it can go and how we can reach new audiences. You got a good resource for cooking tips to make sure you got more people cooking at home maybe now than ever before they maybe haven't done it a while or for some the first time where do you suggest where they get some some help absolutely we have a great resource um go to eatturkey.org and check out our thanksgiving 101 it's full of tips for people who are cooking the turkey or the holiday meal for the first time, but also maybe some things that uh, veterans might need to brush up on too. Uh, and our number one thing that we hear from folks is, oh my gosh, I forgot to thaw my turkey. So this is your advanced reminder to uh, set an alarm and start thawing that turkey about four or five days before the holiday. Um, and check out our site, eatturkey.org, for more tips on how to get that turkey to the table. Beth, always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Happy Thanksgiving. Take care. Beth Breeding, Vice President, Communications and Marketing with the National Turkey Federation. A quick note, next Tuesday, I'm going to be broadcasting from uh, Northwest Missouri State University, Maryville, Missouri. Looking forward to going back there. They've got some uh, new things there, some new uh, facilities. We're going to talk about uh, those and uh, the college overall. So we're looking forward to that visit to to Maryville and working with our affiliate in St. Joe, Missouri, KFEQ. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk markets and the uh, latest report from USDA with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. At Golden Harvest, our best skill is knowing how to listen. From our Gold Series soybean and game-changing corn portfolios to our expert insights housed in the Illuminate Digital Agronomy Platform, everything we offer is an answer to what we've heard from you. This is how we listen. Copyright 2021 Syngenta. The trademarks or service marks used herein are the property of a Syngenta Group company. All other trademarks are the property of their respective owners. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash fieldposts. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. The USDA's WASDE report yesterday was surprising with lower yield production and soy stocks. The USDA cut soybean yield by 0.3 bushels per acre, lowering production by 23 million bushels from October. The USDA fixed the U.S. corn yield at 177 bushels per acre, up half a bushel from 176.5 bushels per acre last month, and slightly above the average trade estimate. The higher yield increased their production 
estimate by 43 million bushels. On the Board of Trade this morning, December corn trading 8 cents higher at 562 and three quarters. The March contract trading 8 cents higher at 572 and a fraction of a cent. For soybeans, the January contract up four and three quarters at 1216 and three quarters. The March contract up a nickel at 1228 and three quarters. For wheat, Chicago wheat December up 10 and a fraction at 788 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat December up nine at 802 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat December up 16 at 1039 and three quarters. The March contract trading 16 cents higher at 1029 and a fraction of a cent. Beet production was raised 53 million pounds with imports increased 73 million pounds and exports increased 41 million pounds. Beef exports are forecast to show an increase of 17.1 percent for the year. High meat prices are front and center for consumers at the grocery store as inflation continues to be a threat. December live cattle trading 30 cents lower at 131.90. The February contract unchanged at 136.70. Feeder cattle January $1.20 lower at 158.60. March down $1.15 at 159.87. In lean hogs, the February contract down 70 at 78.05. The April contract trading 65 cents lower at 82.90. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. On AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we have new numbers from USDA to talk about with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, good to talk with you. Uh, let's see, let's, they adjusted both corn and beans, so let's start with corn. A little more than we thought or they thought. Uh, what's your reaction to that? Yeah, you know, the big picture um, corn market, the corn news from yesterday had a little bit of everything for it. We had the yield come in. Um, at 177, so that was higher than expectations and, of course, higher than the month prior. Um, but then we also had um, demand strong from the standpoint of more demand for corn use for ethanol. The net result was that ending stocks came in lower than last month. So that's big picture supportive. It wasn't quite mm-hmm. you know, as small as what trade was anticipating. But the story for corn just continues to overall be supportive. And uh, as long as that ethanol demand can stay strong, that's really fantastic. And with these energy prices staying up as well, the corn story remains um, quite friendly for the complex. So you, when you first look at it, and they, oh, they raised uh, the production, raised the yield, and thought, oh, that could be negative, but not when you have uh, stronger demand, right? That, that more than offset it, and, and prices are re- responding accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for the short term, uh, corn prices to me feel like they're going to be in a little bit more of a short term trading range, where for the nearby December contract, uh, we just don't still have a reason to get higher than the previous high from last week near that 590 area. But overall, we have really fantastic support near 540. So for the next couple weeks, I would think prices just kind of consolidate back and forth between that price point. And then, of course, that D22 contract just continues to inch along higher and higher and higher um, as it's pretty much saying, hey, don't forget about me and make sure you're going to be planting corn next spring. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Let's, let's go now to the soybean side. And what was your takeaway there? 
Well, the biggest takeaway was that it was not as bearish and detrimental as the trade was anticipating. So ending stocks are still larger than last month. But the trade was looking for, you know, huge supplies to come out, you know, more like ending stocks closer to 360. So coming in at 340 is what made the market say, hey, this is decent news. And the big surprise, of course, was that yield coming in smaller than expectations. And that's still quite interesting to me as producers that I've been visiting with have been telling me how fantastic their yields are. So I'm a little surprised at that yield number yesterday. But with the news that you know wasn't as bearish as anticipated, it was enough to say for soybean futures to, to stick to that $12 support area, dug in its heels, it posted bullish reversals on daily charts. So similar to corn, I think the beans are going to probably now trade sideways in a range here for a little bit. $12 continues to be support, but we just don't have a reason to see that January contract get above 1250 for the short term. So looking for a little bit more back and forth sideways trading range. And now we'll start to focus on South American weather and watching exports. And so the next export sale report will come out tomorrow morning. Well, that uh, South American weather has been pretty good so far. It has been just fine. So that's where the market is is really watching it from the standpoint of we know that they're off to a decent start for their planting pace. They have the potential to get that crop harvested early and then be um, a good customer for China to sell beans to them. There still, though, is that forecast for the La Nina. And if that actually comes to fruition for December, January, that equates to hot and dry. So we're not out of the woods yet from the standpoint of this market could just explode to the upside from a weather perspective. The other thing that the market complex is, is talking about and watching continues to be talk of inflation, watching these energy prices continue to soar higher and stay at these lofty levels. So there's, there's a lot of moving parts right now to the market. And the other thing that's starting to happen, we're starting to see the U.S. dollar actually um, has been just, again, continuing to consolidate, deciding if it's going to break out to the upside or, or, or set back lower. So if we can get that dollar to drop, that would be really fantastic for our export market, too. Yeah, a lot of moving parts here. We're talking with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing. The other part of it, of course, is watching to see what China does as far as purchases. Yeah, that'll be a big part here in the next few weeks and months. So um, the, the recent thought has been because... South America has been able to have a good start to their planting and expectations that they'll be able to harvest on time or early. It's giving some of those Brazilian producers confidence to go ahead and let go of any old crop that they had remaining. So sometimes what we're hearing is that that old crop that still might be in Brazilian producers' hands is what's being sent to China for late December. And then there's, of course, talk that if they can get this new crop harvested early, then that would go to China in early January. So if we can see the soybean price kind of come back a little bit, maybe the U.S. can pick up some of those sales. Otherwise, um, China seems to only be buying from us what they need with the bulk of their business right now heading to Brazil. So looking ahead to next spring here, uh, it was kind of looking like for a while we're headed towards, hey, let's the shift to soybeans, uh, in part because of perhaps input costs and availability, but also some of these uh, supply-demand factors we're talking about. But now it, it sounds like you could almost make a case it's moving the other way. Yes. Um, so, so that is being monitored. And what was interesting is that the USDA put out their baseline projected for, for acres for next spring, and it wasn't too far off of what we had this last spring. So that was interesting to see. And then in the big picture, we still have ending stocks that are tight for not just corn and all wheat. Um, soybean stocks in the big picture are tight, sorghum, barley, oats, cotton. So we have a lot of commodities that are still fighting for acres. So I don't think that um, prices can totally fall apart lower until we know what would be committed for spring acres, which we won't know for sure, of course, until late March. You mentioned uh, ethanol. Uh, that demand and the the aggressive buying of ethanol plants has been very supportive uh, to the corn price. Do you, you see that continuing? Um, I'm wondering about that. So part of me wonders two things. If energy prices can stay stronger, in theory, that should keep ethanol profitable and ethanol margins profitable to where 
the ethanol plants are wanting to buy corn, but I think they are being quite aggressive on buying now to secure needs for as far out as they can. So the question becomes, how far out are they buying, which I'm not sure is the answer, but that's what I'm trying to watch and understand. Because then if all of a sudden they say, okay, we have what we need uh, purchased through you know, late August, we're good to go, does then, you know, do we see like the basis start to ease up or what happens there? So right now it still is a friendly market. Right now it's favorable outlook. Um, I don't know that we have a reason at the moment to think that we would see record corn use for ethanol, but we are definitely in the ballpark from numbers that have been from years past where they've been just so strong. So our ethanol for corn right now, 525 Thinking back at history, I think the most I saw once was 5.4, maybe 5.5 billion bushels used. So definitely strong numbers, um, but we got to keep an eye, of course, on the energy prices to support that with favorable margins. Yeah, and you mentioned this earlier. I want to go back to it. The things we need to watch: the strength of the dollar, obviously, inflation, uh, the, this, these outside pressures and influences on, on the commodity markets. How do you see that moving? Um, I think that the inflation story is still happening. I don't think that we're out of this until we get past 4th of July next year because my mm -hmm. bigger thoughts are that if we, uh, we're still dealing with the supply chain hiccups, that's not going to sort itself out. And then we're still, um, you know, having now commodities, this feels like 2008 where all of a sudden commodities are sexy to trade again and people are starting to come back in and they want to be involved especially on the inflation story, especially on the fact that um, President Biden said he's not going to release any oil from our strategic reserves. So now we have another reason why oil prices could stay firm and go higher. And I think there was um, an outlook now that now they're not just stopping at $100 crude oil. There was talk this morning of $120 crude oil come summer. So the consumer so far seems to be able to hold up with these higher prices at the gas station, higher prices at the grocery store. I think we see it continue through the holidays. And then the biggest part will be post-holidays when the credit card bills come, what is the consumer going to do at that time? So we'll see what happens in January. But again, this outlook is that inflation is here for a while yet. I don't see any reprieve from that. Despite the administration saying it's what, transitory or, or, or temporary, I guess uh, your definition of that, that's in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> what is temporary? What, what's, uh, what's the, is it short-term, long-term? I guess that depends on uh, the prices you're paying and how long you can do that. Uh, but you're saying this could go a while. It sure feels that way. Um, there's a bigger part of me, and I'll just be straight up honest, that there's a, there's a big push for the green energies right now and for the, to get the better part of society to agree with green energy. You've got to make your pocketbook hurt so that way people say yes to green energy. And so I don't think people are necessarily hurting yet. So keep an eye on that, and that is definitely a personal opinion of mine. Um, but I, I think that we're going to see firmer prices for a little while here yet. I share that opinion. I talked about it earlier. It seems to me they're not the administration not that concerned with higher gas prices because they think that's a way to get people to move towards electric vehicles. It seems that way to me too. Yeah. Uh, Naomi, okay. always good to talk with you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Up next, we'll talk with Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. What do they see in that infrastructure bill that they like the cattle industry um, also is there what about a cow tax we've heard a lot about that and uh, we also have um, more cattle market reform to talk about as well so all that coming up next here on AOA stay with us AOA is brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. 
The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Let's Talk isn't just an invitation, it's how we do business. Our experts at FS AgriFinance believe that a meaningful conversation is the best way to help our customers reach their financial goals. We'll show you how to use financing as a risk management tool to help spread your costs and manage your cash flow. We know agriculture and are focused on what's ahead to make sure you're ready for it. Talk with your FS AgriFinance specialist at your local FS member company today. FS, bringing you what's next. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're putting proven yield advantage to work in your fields. Extend Flex soybeans offer elite genetics built on the proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. In fact, farmers saw a four bushel per acre advantage and a 70% average win rate over Enlist E3 soybeans in 2020 germplasm trials. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. So you're saying I could save some money now by bundling my crop protection products, but I'd miss out on the 5 to 15 bushels per acre advantage from Acuron herbicide? Mm-hmm. And the 4 bushel advantage Saltro seed treatment has over Olivo seed treatment? Yeah. And the 18 and a half bushels per acre advantage from Trivapro fungicide? Yep. So the bundle deal isn't really all that much of a deal, is it? Nope. Better yield is the better deal. Talk to your retailer or Syngenta rep to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. As you wrap up harvest and prepare for the 2022 season, get a jump start by attending the DTN Ag Summit. This in-person event will be held December 5th through the 7th in Chicago at the Fairmont Hotel. Learn from agricultural thought leaders, including Ambassador Terry Branstad and John Deere lead economist Galia Barr, and much, much more. Register before November 25th to save $100 off registration. Get your tickets today at DTN.com backslash Ag Summit. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. 
Now, back to Mike Adams. Good to have with us Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, thank you for joining us. Several topics here I want to get to. First of all, we'll start with the infrastructure bill. What's in it that uh, you like that you think was will help the uh, the cattle industry? First and foremost, I the back end 150 air mile exemption for livestock haulers. Uh, you know, this is one more bit of flexibility in making sure that our producers have the ability to get cattle where they need to get quickly and safely without being held to a standard that just doesn't work for hauling live animals. Uh, This back in 150 doesn't get us enough drive time to solve this issue for all of our producers in the country. You know, folks hauling cattle out of the panhandle in in Florida or Pennsylvania or places like that are are still not going to get enough from this, but it's movement in the right direction. Um, And that's, that's a really positive step. That's something that uh, NCBA and others in the ag world have been working really hard on as part of this package. This has taken months to make sure this was part of the finished product, and and that's something we're really pleased to have seen included. And, and, you know, beyond that, um, there's some there's some some funding in this bill that that really goes to roads and bridges and and rural broadband and things that you know we've been working on for for years in this office in the Trump administration we were working on these same priorities and 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 before that even um, so it was good to see some of those things finally pushed across the finish line these things are never perfect and and uh, you know we we can always look for something that's uh, a little tighter I mean you know Washington loves to inflate these kinds of bills and, and add things in that don't need to be there, but there's a lot of good stuff in this bill, and and probably most importantly beyond those, uh, Mike, just the fact that it was separated from the BBB, from the reconciliation bill, and passed on its own uh, is a huge win. This thing's been held hostage since the middle of summer, and, and to get it pushed across the finish line on its own merit uh, is, is another good piece of news as well. So there's been all this talk about a, a cow tax. Uh, what can you tell us about that? <laughs> So that's on the reconciliation bill where that, that concern has popped up. And it, it has popped up several times. And I'm, I've got, I just happen to have the language sitting in front of me, actually, um, because it's been such a concern for producers around the country and for some members on the Hill that are, that are worried about our best interests. And, and I can't tell you how appreciative we are of those members always looking out for the cattle industry. This, this fee, it's a, it's, a, it's a methane fee targeted specifically at oil and gas. And, and it, it is not written in a way that it would impact agriculture in any way. It couldn't be used to, imp- to impact agriculture or levy a fee on cattle the way it is written in the bill. Um, so we, we, we are, are, are comfortable that, that we're not exposed to any kind of cow tax. Um, it doesn't make the reconciliation bill a good bill. It's still a bad bill. This particular piece is not our focus. It's, it's just not a threat to us in its current form. Um, that doesn't mean we don't stay vigilant and make sure that some bad idea like this doesn't pop up. But, but if it were real, we'd be screaming to the rafters about it. And, and uh, this, is just, this is just not one to focus on. We need to make sure we keep stepped-up basis changes out of this bill as it continues to evolve. We need to make sure we keep any kind of uh, acceleration of that estate tax exemption level from the 2000. 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act out of this bill. We need to make sure that this this social spending spree that is part of this bill is not paid for in the backs of producers around the country. And 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 right now we feel like we have that in a, a fairly decent spot. But man, we're not anywhere near the finish line. They're going to keep fighting about this thing, and we're going to keep seeing it change over the next couple of weeks as Speaker Pelosi tries to figure out a way to get this thing pushed through. And finally, uh, there's a bipartisan group of senators, four senators, Fisher, Grassley, Tester, and Wyden. They have uh, released their framework for a new Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act, and they say they plan to uh, introduce the bill in the coming days. What are your thoughts on that? What do you like? What do you not like about it? You know, just like previous versions of Senator Fisher's bill, we we like a lot of the bill. The vast majority of it we have policy to support. You know, we've been really vocal about the cattle contract library. This version of the cattle contract library syncs up with Congressman Johnson's version that uh, that passed out of the House a few weeks back. Um, we think that's a really good strategy. We think that's a good way to uh, to, to attack that problem. Um, you know, there are some really good things in there on next day carcass weights and some of those issues that we've been wrestling with, trying to figure out how to get some more data and transparency in the marketplace. We're 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 on board on all of that. Uh, you know, our member passed policy is is at the current time still opposed to a mandate, and this bill continues to uh, to seek a government mandate on how uh, cattle are traded at a regional level. Um, 
this is different than the previous version in that this one sort of puts a structure in place that sets a floor of you know a minimum for how much cash trade can be can be uh, uh, conducted in some areas and a ceiling in other areas. So it, it sort of ends up serving as a mechanism from what we can tell to kind of reallocate AMAs between between regions, which is sort of different than the approach Senator Grassley has has been taking of, of wanting just a straight 50 percent. This bill, as we read it, would probably set a, a, a maximum for uh, a negotiated trade in, in Iowa, you know, somewhere in the mid-30s um, rather than 50%. So um, a bit of a departure from, from what he's been advocating for. We're still waiting to see the full bill text and, and, you know, this kind of thing. The devil's always in the details, so we'll, we'll be excited to actually look at the details. But what they've, what they've put out and explained, that's kind of our read of it right now. So it's a work in progress. You don't support it fully as is. But uh, you'll see how it develops from here. Yeah, you know, th- th- this thing hasn't changed in two years in that everyone in the cattle industry working on this, all of the senators on Capitol Hill, we're all trying to accomplish the same thing. We all want to get to the same place. We're trying to figure out how to, how to do it. And, and that's a better problem to have than disagreeing on where we're trying to get. So we're going to have to just keep working on this. We're going to have to keep working with our state affiliates who continue to have positions that are all over the board on this, from, from one end of the spectrum to the other. And, you know, NCBA's role is to facilitate some of that conversation, work through our live cattle marketing working group, work our voluntary process, and, and try to find that common ground for the industry as far as where we want to go and, and uh, how we want to get this done. Okay, so still a work in progress. Ethan, thank you very much. Appreciate the update. Thanks, Mike. Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. That wraps it up for today. Uh, hope you'll join us tomorrow on Veterans Day. We will talk with a, uh, a farmer that's a, who's a veteran and get his thoughts, what he thinks and feels about on, on Veterans Day. We'll have some thoughts on that. More on the markets and all these breaking stories as well. As always, hope you will join us right here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. So you're saying I could save some money now by bundling my crop protection products? But I'd miss out on the 5 to 15 bushels per acre advantage from Acuron herbicide? Mm-hmm. And the 4 bushel advantage Saltro seed treatment has over Olivo seed treatment? Yeah. And the 18 and a half bushels per acre advantage from Trivapro fungicide? Yep. So the bundle deal isn't really all that much of a deal, is it? Nope. Better yield is the better deal. Talk to your retailer or Syngenta rep to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.